Amen. Your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's uh, good to be back in familiar surroundings at an altar that um, feels so at home in both places. I was in Miami um, last weekend. Uh, The rector, the present rector, was on her three-month sabbatical, and so I was the last in what they called a parade of preachers. And uh, it's where I came to Christ, but you know the old adage, you can't go back again? And uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was kind of Twilight Zone-ish in a way, um, because you know, some of the people from there we've kind of seen a little bit over the years, but to see a large number of them all together, I thought, gosh, they look so old. <laughs> then I thought, well, I do too. <laughs> So, uh, and we were all baptized. 30 years since uh, the children and I went to that church, and we were all baptized on the same day, and I was confirmed on that day as well. So it was, it was interesting to go back. Of course, in most of the congregation, I didn't know. There were about two pews of people that I did know. All the rest were new people, but... Um, And, you know, I was just there preaching. I wasn't there um, as celebrant either, so it's kind of weird. Where do I stand? What do I do? I'm kind of used to doing the whole shebang. So, um, But um, it was also really good to get back home again. But on that Friday evening, uh, before the weekend whirlwind, uh, we went over to old friends of ours who we'd known actually before we even um, started attending church. And uh, their older son had been uh, one year older than Georgie. He um, sadly um, died in the military over six years ago. But um, we went back and we were with them for supper Um, And um, uh, as we're in the conversation, I could tell that Mariana was about to say, you know, you speak French, we've got, and then the doorbell went, and, um, and some new friends of theirs that they'd met in the last three years came in. He's a French heritage and, well, is French, grew up in France, she's American, and they traveled all over, lived all over and um, evidently he had been apprised that I was a priest. And so um, the conversation was immediately, I'm really interested in your story. Um, now, I have to say that there was a part of me that said, oh, <laughs> I'm in for an evening of being asked a lot of questions. And uh, indeed, I was, and I was reminded this Wednesday, Lord has such an amazing sense of humor, that one of the prayers that I wrote and that we say every Wednesday is give Reverend Sarah opportunities to spread the gospel. (laughs) And and so it was an opportunity. And um, it was really, really nice couple. And, uh, but he said, you know, 60s and 70s growing up in France, you know, it was anybody who had any kind of a faith who was drawn to the religious life was, uh, was looked down upon, was completely frowned upon as being completely unintellectual. I mean, they couldn't have had an intellectual thought in their head if they had a faith. 
and uh, and he said and 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 I believed that I bought that hook line and sinker and that um yes the whole thing about it was just random and this that and the other and he said and I've you know as I've aged I've realized that can't possibly be right that for the creation to be the way it is with all of the intricacies of life there must have been a creator you know it's what's happening with lydia in our story by the water she's not a jewish person she's a god-fearer her, the, we hear in scripture that god had opened up her heart to hear the gospel message this was what was going on in this man's life the, the lord had opened up his heart and he drawn him he was drawing him to himself through this understanding that it's just not random it's you can't put 20 you know monkeys in a room with typewriters and have them come up with an amazing novel it just it's not i mean that's the old you know storyline isn't it i've probably got it wrong but it's just it can't be random and he'd come to that understanding but there were various accretions over the years having sat through um some some roman catholic um teaching about purgatory and and works righteousness and you know back in the day and so there there was a lot of kind of peeling back that needed to be done what what do you mean we don't we don't get there by good works well no because we can never be good enough and it's only through jesus and and um and our friends were trying to keep kind of pulling the conversation away from religion and christianity and he kept saying no 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 i've got another question of you and of course these are he's been thinking about these for a long time they're deeply theological questions why is there evil in the world you know all all of these kind of things and then and and the whole thing about goodness and good works and so that took some time and then um the holy spirit well how can you be born again and i said that was a question nicodemus asked as well and so i believe me we covered the waterfront but the biggest question that he had was what is the purpose to all of this what is the purpose to life if god created and now i trust and believe that he created what is the purpose of life what is the purpose of life generally but what is my purpose in life personally and individually well you know libraries are full with the answer to that question but um interestingly the lord taught me because believe you me i'm praying all through this lord give me the words to say um and thankfully he's ever present when you send up those help arrow prayers and um and he brought me to revelation before i to the 21st chapter before i'd even read ahead and realized that's where we are this sunday so uh to a certain extent all of the lections actually today's lections answer that question what is the purpose of creation what is the purpose of our life well if genesis is the story of god's good creation that god did indeed create and called all things good 
then Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is about God's new creation. The 21st chapter, the first verse, starts off by saying that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It's what Isaiah had prophesied also way back 800 years before the birth of Christ. And here, the last book of the Bible is telling this arc of history that the new creation actually points towards, which is a new heaven and a new earth. So what we hear about the purpose of our life is to grin and bear it until we go to heaven where we stay forever. I mean, is that, you know, that's a tape that sometimes we hear. Revelation, and particularly the 21st chapter in Revelation, says, um, no, actually. Yes, do we get to heaven when we die through Christ? Absolutely. But is that our final destination? Evidently not, according to Revelation. Our final destination is a new heaven and a new earth, not now separated as they are right now by a veil, but joined together. So a new creation that is both heaven, which is where God is, because all heaven means is the place where God reigns, where God rules, where God is present in all his glory, where people can see him face to face, which we can't now do because of our sinful natures. So there's a veil that's been placed between heaven's dimension and earth's dimension. And what Revelation is talking about, that at the end of the age, those two will be joined together, made new. So don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Heaven, because it's God's domain, it's where God is, is where we go when we die. When we pass through the veil, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. We enter into the nearer presence of Christ and every tear is wiped away from our eyes. All of those beautiful images that we get throughout scripture, but it's not our final destination. There's life after life after death, as N.T. Wright says. Um, So we are with Christ. Our lives are are hidden in Christ. Through baptism, we die with Christ. We're raised to new life, to the seed of eternal life, which is even now within us because of, of baptism. And so our lives are hidden with Christ, who is the one person who has knit heaven to earth. Heaven's dimension and earth's dimension come together in the incarnation, in the person of Christ, who is both God and both man, and yet and earth are knit together. And through baptism, we are in Christed. Our lives, are Christ comes and dwells within us, but we also are in Christ. And so all that we do in this earthly life is held for us in Christ in the heavenly realm. It's why Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy. 
So that when we're in Christ, all that we do in his name, all the goodness that we might be able to do in his name, in our earthly journey, is held for us in some mysterious, divine way in Christ, so that at the new heaven and the new earth, it somehow or other is given back to us. Somehow, what we do is part of what God will bring about in a new heaven and a new earth. And Jerusalem is going to be the center of that, the new Jerusalem. John gets this vision of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And then what, is the, what are the images that are associated with that? First of all, there's no temple. There's no current temple left in Jerusalem even now. There's just the wall that's left of the temple mount. What was the temple? The temple was where God's glory was until it left. But that it moved from the tabernacle into the temple. So it was a symbol, and it was more than a symbol. It was the presence of God in amongst the people of Israel in the center of Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem that comes down in the new heaven and earth world doesn't need a temple. Why? Because heaven and earth are knit together. There is nothing unclean. There is nothing accursed. Nothing dwells there except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Because we get to be there not because of anything we do, but through the shed blood of the Lamb, our names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. And because God is there, present, we won't just see the tale of his glory as Moses saw when he said, Lord, show yourself to me. And God put him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over him so that he's walked by all he saw was the back of the train of his glory. You know, now we will see God face to face and the light of the Lord God Almighty in his glory and that of the Lamb sitting on the throne will light up the whole heaven, earth, new creation out of the center of the new Jerusalem, the new city. Not only that, but what do we hear is this, the river of life is running from the very center of Jerusalem, from the throne of the Lamb and from the throne of the Lord God Almighty all the way out throughout all of the nations. Remember when uh, the Samaritan woman at the well and uh, Jesus talks to her about the living water. He is the living water. And this is the living water that sustains us and keeps us. We're not, folks, we're not going to be sitting on clouds playing harps. Just do away with that. There's, there's going to be as wonderful, as rich life as we experience here, but without the pain or suffering, without what is accursed, without that which evil, without all of those things. But it will be the fullness of life, and yet even more so than we experience right now in this new place. There will be things for us to do, because God created us that way. 
And so that's the purpose of our life. But it's not just to kind of wait and grit our teeth and bear it until that happens. He's given us things to do in the interim. We are, as we're taught in the Lord's Prayer, to pray for thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's just not a prayer that kind of goes up and just goes out into the ether. That's a prayer for us to actually cooperate with God in the here and now. Because what we do in the here and now is never lost. It's incorporated into that new creation somehow that we don't know yet but we will see when Jesus returns. And so here and now, not only are we praying that prayer, that you know maybe somebody else will do it, know that we will be empowered to bring heaven's ways into earth. And of course, well, we can't do that in our own strength ever. But that's why Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my Holy Spirit to you. The power of the Holy Spirit, the amazing power that raised Jesus from the dead is given to us, was given to the disciples on Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks. But it's given to us because what does Jesus say? He will lead you into all truth and he will remind you about the things that I have taught you. And so the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us about what Jesus teaches us to do, how he teaches us to act, how he teaches us to be. It's the Holy Spirit that spreads the gospel in the Acts of the Apostles. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that, right? This is the second missionary journey that we're looking at in today's Acts reading. And backing up a little bit to the beginning of that chapter, so Paul has set off with Silas now on a missionary journey. They've gone to Derby and they've gone to Lystra and they've picked up young Timothy in Lystra. And uh, Timothy's been brought to faith by his mother and his grandmother. And so he comes along, young chap, you know, young. He ends up being the bishop of Ephesus. Uh, down the road. But he's mentored along the way by Paul. And so the three of them are on their journey. Now, what would normally happen is that uh, you'd kind of make a straight shot across because of something called the Lycus Valley. So going from uh, Lystra, um, the normal way to go would be due west. So Lystra, that area is in the eastern side of the Roman province of what was called Asia, but actually is modern-day Turkey. They'd be going west into western Turkey. But no, they're prevented from doing that by the Holy Spirit. So their you know, door's not open, so they go north. And then they start thinking, we'll just go straight north. If they go straight north, they hit the Black Sea. But no, the Holy Spirit prevents them from going straight north. So they go west again. So they've actually kind of done this dogleg over to now the northwestern uh, shore of Turkey, and they end up in Troas. And what happens in Troas? Well, interestingly enough, this is a little tidbit, that's where Luke joins them, because the narrative changes from they did this, they did that, to we did this, and we did that. And Luke 
is the one who's writing this second of his two books. And so they get this vision of being called over to Macedonia. They've tried to go here. They've tried to go there. Holy Spirit had a different idea for them. Does that ever happen in your life? You think you're going here? And the Holy Spirit says no, and you do another dog leg, and you think you're going there, and the Holy Spirit says no, and you go up here, and you're just following where the Holy Spirit is is bringing you to. Because you don't know where you're going. could be a blind alley for all you know, but the faith and the trust is, is that that's where the Holy Spirit is leading us. And so they go over, and they, and here, now the... The gospel has spread not just in the Roman province of Asia and the whole eastern end of the Mediterranean. It's now into what we call Europe. It's hit Macedonia, Greece, and it goes forward from there. And Lydia's heart is opened. She receives the gospel. Her whole household is baptized. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy make her home the center of their ministry in Philippi for a while to come. So you see, the purpose of God, creation, is always pointing forwards in the arc of God's history of time to new creation, a new heaven-earth dimension. When Jesus returns, with the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, And God is very present with his people. His glory is all the light we will need. But in this ark that comes down when heaven and earth meet in Jesus and then goes on again until he returns, we're in this period of time right here. And we are not to just sit back on our haunches. But we are to do the work that we've been given to do in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the new heaven and new earth creation will incorporate within it all that the Holy Spirit has taught us to do. I want to tell you the stories about how that has already happened in the life of this church. Some of you might remember Dari Will uh, because she was chair of the search committee. When I was first ordained, um, I was non-stipendary associate with John Davis out at Church of the Incarnation, which was a new mission plant. Um, I knew they couldn't afford to pay a second priest, but that was where the Holy Spirit called me into ministry. It was very clear and thankfully had provided financially for me to be able to do that. And about a year and a half into that time, um, Ernie Bennett, who was then the canon to the ordinary, called me up and said, Sarah, we're starting to put your name in to different parishes to be a rector. And I said, well, Ernie, I'm kind of happy where I am. And uh, he wasn't terribly happy with that answer. Um, but, but also, honestly, Ernie, the, the only place that I feel in my heart that God might call me to is Church of the Good Shepherd. And he said, well, that won't happen. He said, because... 
Robbie has just signed up for five years there. He's going to be there for five years. I said, well, okay. And then he'd keep sending me these, these other churches. And I say, Penny, I'm really sorry, but I just don't feel that there's a call there. He said, how can you know that? You haven't even gone over there. You haven't read the thing. I'm going, I know, but I just know. And then I got a letter from Church of the Good Shepherd, and I called Ernie, and I said, well, he said other things have come about, and and Robbie's not going to be there, so they started a search process, and we went through the search process, and I heard then that the search process had ended, and I was not called, and I thought, well, Lord, I guess I didn't hear that one right. And so, you know, I went along. I was happy doing the ministry that I was doing at Church of the Incarnation, and then I got another letter, and... uh, and, and I called early and I said, they didn't mention anything about the last call. Should I say something to them? And he said, no, just, just kind of let it go. And, and then we came to an interview, a phone interview, and I said, um, guys, you know that I was in your first search, so there was maybe something there that you should look back at, you know, maybe. Um, yeah, we know you were there, so it went on and here I am. but but, you know what a dog leg way but there are a lot of reasons why that happened and that would take all morning to 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 tell you about but um and then we needed a music minister and literally paddy walked through the office door There was no search. There was nothing going on. Paddy walked through the door and said, do you need a music minister? Well, yes, we've been praying for a music minister. And she's been such a blessing for five and a half years. And so the Lord provides... You know, if I'd gone ahead and tried to pull together, uh, you know, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? I'd probably have done something before Paddy had time to walk through the door. That would not have been the right thing to do. You know, in, I think it's 2010, might have been 2011, we had paid our diocesan assessment, and yet there was this real realization I can't say it any more than that, that we needed to step out in faith and do that. And you've heard this story. We did not have the money. We did not have the money. There was no money in the budget. There was no money on the horizon. There was no money. And the vestry stepped off the ledge in faith. And we thought, well, as we come down the road, if it looks like we're really having a hard time We'll reassess this and, you know, I don't know what we'll do. We ended up that year with $50,000 surplus and the tithe paid because Stan Higgins gave a bequest that kept on giving. It was like the loaves and the fishes. We get 1000 we get 2000 we get 10000 we get another 5000 to the tune of total 75000 we paid the tithe we never stopped paying the tithe 
And then I hear about this young chap called Cameron. I've read some of his stuff on the Nashoda blog. And then the bishop calls and said, I want to talk to you about somebody that I just met up at Nashoda House. His name's Cameron McMillan. I said, oh, I've read some of his stuff. He's a really good writer. And he said, well, would you like to have a curate? And I laughed at him. I said, well, yeah, we don't have the wherewithal to pay for a curate, Bishop Greg. And I don't see that coming down the pike. But as things came along, we met with Cameron. I met with Cameron. He came on as our a seminarian. And in a month and a half, he'll be with us. We didn't have the money to pay him more than six months, maybe three quarters of a year at a push. And he knew that. But he's a prayerful person as well. And he knew that this was a call here. And so what ended up happening is that we kept going along the line. Backing up to my first year here. In fact, the second funeral, I think it was the second funeral I did. The first was Eleanor Kane. Some of you have been here for a while will remember sweet Eleanor. I said, I'm ready to die. Come and give me the last rites. It was a little while longer than that. I said, Eleanor, you don't actually get to choose the hour and the day. Um, but Olga McBride, uh, and she lived with her daughter on the other side of town, Joyce. And, and so although I'd asked if I could go and see her, you know, no, she really doesn't know people and this, that, and the other. So when she died... Joyce and her sister Gail came to, were there at the funeral, and Gail's daughter, uh, they live up in the northeast. And uh, two days after the funeral, Gail came onto the campus and said to me, I had to find you, and I had to give you this book. And I don't know why, but I have to give you this book. And she handed me a book, and it was, the title of it was, I'm in here. Backing up even further, I think one of the first things that I said to the vestry, and Wayne, you might remember this, is that even if we quadruple our average Sunday attendance, this property is the Lord's, and it's never just going to be for this congregation. It's going to be for something else. But I don't know what. The book was written by Gail's daughter and her daughter, who is a nonverbal autistic child. And basically it says, I'm in here. Don't talk through me. Don't talk over me. Don't talk past me. I'm in here. I might not be able to communicate like you, but I'm in here. And the, the book is beautifully written with some beautiful Christian poems that this little girl, who had been told by the doctors or her mother had that she would never advance past maybe first grade at that, is brilliant. And so that started the thread. Gosh, I wonder how many of these children actually get to have 
a Christian, a, 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 a Christian schooling. How many of them get to know about Jesus in their schools? How many of them actually get to worship with other people? Because when they're nonverbal, sometimes they shout out and it sounds inappropriate. And so their parents get embarrassed and the worshiping community doesn't know what to do and the Sunday school teachers aren't equipped. So what happens is, is that, that they don't go and worship. They don't get to be part of a Christian community. And so fast forward, there were threads all the way along, but there was never anything. At one point in time, I thought, maybe I'll start up a steering committee and see what it would be and how we could put together, you know, a packet and how we, we could start a school. And, and then, you know, I just, it didn't happen. It wasn't supposed to be. There was another group that came that was secular, and they, they were looking at the campus and, well, maybe we'll have, but they wanted a straight rental agreement and they didn't want to hear anything from me about a Christian component to this school. And then two months ago, Dilcia drove onto the campus and I said, what made you come to the campus? She said, well, I was looking at an office building, but I was driving by and I had to come in. I just had to come in and ask you. Do you have any space? We have a school with special needs children, autistic children from first grade through um, high school. We're teaching them life skills and academics. And two years ago, we decided to make that a Christian focus on our curriculum. And we have to move out of where we are in the summer and we're looking for a new place. Would you have any room for that? And I said, well, you know, let's let's look at that. And so we made an appointment for the next day, and they didn't show. And I called up, and she said, oh, I must have sent it to the wrong email address. They're not interested. So I went home, and I said, Lord, this seemed like it was so right. So if this is of you... Shut every single other door and make this the only one that they can walk through. And three weeks ago, that's what happened. (laughs) They had another couple of possibilities, but they really weren't right. And so they came onto the campus. And the other piece to this puzzle is that many of you will know Kathleen Sposato. She... Um, is on the altar guild. Her husband, Mark, um, had had some extensive knee surgery, very active chap, and uh, couldn't do the stuff that he was used to doing. And so um, Kathleen said, when I suggested that, you know, were there any parishioners who could help out in the office, she suggested Mark. Um, or maybe he did, but um, anyway, he said he'd help out in the office. Now, I knew that he'd been a retired superintendent of schools up in New York, but I didn't know quite the extent of his background. But when I had this meeting, he was on the campus, and so I said, Mark, would you mind just sitting in on this meeting? 
And uh, so we're talking, and we're talking about this, and I said, first up, I need you to know that I'm not interested in a straight rental situation. I said, I want a relationship. I want a relationship so that this community can be part of your community, that your community will interact and there will be this wonderful symbiosis between us and you. And Christian, who is the owner, said, I nearly burst into tears right then because nobody's wanted a relationship like that with us before. And we don't have really more physical space for classrooms than they have right now and they've got 40 students and 20 on the waiting list but they want a relationship and so Mark in the middle of this is kind of asking questions I'm thinking I would never have thought to ask that I would never have thought to ask that I don't know anything about that and finally I get to know that this guy is a music major whose PhD is in music as therapy for uh, children with special needs and that he was a music teacher, he was a a principal, he was an associate superintendent of schools and then superintendent of two different school districts, set up special needs classrooms, built uh, schools, knows how to negotiate and I'm going... um, Can you take the lead on this, Mark? And he's been amazing. He'd already started to realize before this even came down that we don't have any fire safety, fire alarms on the entire campus. The chapel, the church, the buildings. He'd already got that ball rolling. When the school came along and we needed to figure out that with a school we needed to get fire alarm. He'd already started that. I want you to know that the only thing that is, that the next thing that we need to do is to get the zoning permission from the city of Maitland and that looks like it's going ahead. And the other piece to that, Cameron's full packet is covered by the rental. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're as excited about this as I am. Because I truly believe that this is the Lord's hand over these years of waiting for such a time as this. If you have any questions, ask a vestry member. It's going really fast. So uh, you might need, if there's something that comes up in your head, I imagine that Mark has already thought about it. We were back there at the back building one day and they were talking about putting up a wall and I said, well, maybe you could use this office or you don't need to do that. And, And Mark very gently with a smile on his face said, Sarah, it's a school thing. They need to have that entrance. I'm going, okay, I'm not micromanaging that anymore. I'm stepping out of that one. So all that to say, like Paul on his journeys, God has a plan. It's never going to be lost. Whatever we do in this life, by bringing heaven to earth, as the Lord teaches us to pray, 
will be held in the life of Christ, the true God-man, until he returns and there is a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed on page 358 in the Book of Common Prayer. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty,